0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia peanut team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. Welcome back to episode 19 of All About the Pod. And today we have Dr. Kamerite with us, and he has not been interviewed separately. We're going to talk about a little bit of everything But before we get started, if you just want to tell us where you came from, how you got into ag, what got you to this point in Georgia? Well, I appreciate that, Macy. I can't believe there's anybody out there who cares where I came from (laughs) or how I got into ag, but uh, I'll tell you briefly, I'm originally from Florida. I grew up in uh, Brevard County on the East Coast, and I'd always had an interest in agriculture. Did not come from an agricultural background per se, but uh, always had a strong interest in it and was interested in biology. And what I found with going through school and I interested in chemistry and going through school, I discovered that you could marry chemistry and biology together and be very applied and put it into an agricultural background because I didn't grow up on a farm. I was. I really didn't, I was, I was looking for a specialty where I felt that the biology and the chemistry would be kind of offset that, that, that the, a, a discipline that would, and plant pathology you've been able to do that. In plant pathology, there's a lot of diagnostics. There's a lot of understanding the biology of the systems. Um, and so I've, I feel right at home and feel that my background has, has made that appropriate. And I've always, the thing I love most about my job is I've always loved working with people and being able to feel like that something you do hopefully will make a difference for them and make their lives better in some way. And so that's what Extension at the University of Georgia does. You're able to be involved in agriculture, you'll be able to be involved in the science, but a significant part of our job is trying to make a difference in the lives of people. And that's, I think that's what uh, what I like most, using my skills and trying to work with and talk to people. Uh, so Extension's a perfect job for me.
1: And if you don't know Dr. Kamarite, when he goes out and about, he is our biggest sales force for extension. He is <laughs> he is the numero uno when it comes to selling extension and what we do and just recognizing people. He does a great job with that no matter who or where he's around. And there's never been anybody... That is not a friend of Bob Kemmer. He it doesn't matter if he's made him that day or two years from now, they go just right back to it and start talking. So well, I could tell you there's probably
0: seven people listening right now, and they'll say, Well, I wouldn't count in that category, but I <laughs> but I uh, I do uh, I I do like to talk to people and uh, maybe I talk too much, but that's a certainly an extension. It gives us an opportunity to work in agriculture, to marry my interest in biology and chemistry, and also the chance to to try and make a difference. It's a wonderful career. And, and really hard to separate my life from my career because of how much I enjoy that. Yep. And it is National Ag Week. Are y'all doing anything to celebrate? We come to work every day. <laughs> we are immersed Just in agriculture.
1: Area. No matter what we're doing, we're we're busy. Uh, yeah. Busy at
0: trying. I know to some people are doing events do. and stuff. I didn't know if y'all are partaking. I got into the peanuts i remember when i started graduate school at university of florida and though i was to work with dr tom kucherky so they got a project on peanuts and i thought peanuts And i was thinking corn or cotton or rice <laughs> a big crop or some big vegetable and peanuts was at that time i attributed it as being a snack food right it was a snack food but i can't think of a better crop to work with in addition to the corn and soybeans and cotton but uh You know, know, means so much around the world, and it's got so many disease problems. And from a regional basis, I'm a Southeast Conference kind of guy, and uh, it's a great crop to work with, whether it's ag week or not. It's a a good thing. Yep. And speaking of around the world, just coming back from Brazil, did y'all learn anything or bring anything back that was really interesting? Oh, we learned
1: a lot. I don't know if we would bring it all back. But no, you know, one thing we learned about is – you know, going to Brazil was awesome. We got to see some things that we wouldn't other wor- other words get to see. Uh, but it's also team building. We're, we're we're getting to know each other still, even being around each other as much as we are, um, because we do depend on each other. But Brazil was kind of interesting. And you know, um, you know, I know people don't always want or hear want to hear what other countries are doing. And probably don't think that we need to be involved with other countries and all that, but I tell you, we learned something that, that will help us here. Yeah. You know, in looking at their equipment, and how they approach things, um, it always helps us understand, or, or at least gives us a better understanding of, of some things that we might need to work on here to make us better. And that's, that's from my perspective, that's what I want to do, but it is a community as a whole. I think we all are, are
0: learning. And I have to agree with that. We have colleagues and good friends who choose not to go do international work. I've done a significant amount, uh, but I would what I would say is my my. I, while I understand the concerns over University of Georgia faculty going to places like Brazil where there's competition. I've I've long since in my own mind reconciled that it's much more important that we go than if we don't go. Mm-hmm. An example would be to go to Brazil and to recognize, you know, we we pride ourselves on being the best peanuts in the world and we pride ourselves on the best crops in the world, best farmers in the world, all those things, the so superlatives for being American farmers and American agriculture. But when you go out and you see how well, how hard, how how, how efficient production is in other parts of the world, it's, it's harder to just say that we're, we're simply better because we're Americans. We have to recognize that we need to work harder to stay ahead. Um. Brazilian farmers are resilient. Brazilian farmers have the equipment, they have the chemicals, they have uh, the production strategies. The one thing I saw that they didn't have, Scott, as much as I think we have here, and not to pat ourselves, but I think the, what you get, what our growers get through extension, uh, right. that non-biased research information, pick up the phone or send a text and extension agent from the University of Georgia will come out there and help you, or help you make recommendations. Those are things that, uh, that other countries don't have. And I think that if there's one thing they may be a little jealous of, it's that they don't have access to unbiased research-based information like our growers, too. We learn that because we go down and That's see right. what they're doing. And, and there were several people that we talked to down there that
1: based on look, you know, talking with them that seemed like they were spraying a little bit too much or doing some things that they didn't, maybe they didn't have to do, but it was recommended by whoever. And so there were some things that they were doing. Their infrastructure is not quite, their road structure infrastructure is not quite as good as ours to some degree. So that's another thing that's you know limiting them. But we, we realized real quick, I thought like Argentina, that they exported a large share of their Peanuts, but we were surprised. They said about what thirty percent, thirty to forty percent is all they export. The rest of it's domestic. In Brazil, yeah, Argentina is almost a hundred percent. But Brazilians actually eat a lot of peanuts. And let me tell you, there's a lot of Brazilian people. <laughs> so that's a good thing as far as you know when you try to understand just how competitive they are with us you know it's, it's like us we can continue to build our domestic use mm-hmm. just like they can so um hopefully people don't see this us going and learning from them is not you know we're giving away secrets because everything that we do for the most part is on the internet. You can find it anywhere that you want to look on the Internet. Now, we're not going out and just openly giving away anything, but it's there if they want it. But it's good to have cooperation because we have students that come in that work with us from other countries. we got students that go work with other countries. So I, I think you have to look beyond, uh, when you're talking about academia, you have to look beyond what we're doing here because that's how we get promoted, too, right? We have to have an international presence. So, mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Well, I think it was an outstanding experience for them and for us, the spirit of cooperation. And I'm especially grateful for the hospitality we received. So, I it, uh, it learned a lot. And uh, so. Well, Tim Brenneman said, he said one thing for certain.
1: He, he uh, thanked them for providing us with the tools us to um, adding resistance to our our peanuts here for both root knot nematode, leaf spot, and all that all that resistance from those wild species are coming from Brazil and yeah.
0: other neighboring countries, and so not yet. just from the wild species; come with some of the varieties that right. land, or, or some of the land races, if you yeah. will. So, so if you look at what we've what's been produced from from what we've gotten from there, yeah. that's right. So good
1: thing. So we're back in business now here trying to get our our head screwed on straight what um as you look forward what are there's two things that i would like to ask you one is one um the first thing is what are some of the the um, major concerns that we got as we're going in with just getting the crop going and things for growers to think about but the second thing is every year we talk about fungicides might be short they might be of Might have plenty of them in reserves where are we at on all that are we
0: are we lacking sure, sure. or not on those well the first part of your question is <clears throat> what would i be really pushing growers to think about right now and it's not just peanut growers it's all growers in my wheelhouse but but for peanut growers specifically we're coming off a fairly mild winter and uh you know, Roscoe's eyes roll in the back of his head, and his head hits the table every time I say the word La Nina, <laughs> the word La Nina. But uh, whether you believe that or not, we are coming off a, a fairly warm, a mild winter. I say not warm, but mild. And already we've been, looking at, um, we've been looking at nematode counts. And all crops I work with, the nematode counts this year, Macy, we expect them to be down because of winter. But this year, whether it's reniform nematode, whether it's it's stubby root nematode, whether it is um, root-nod nematodes, they're high. And also, if you look back to last year, which was one of the biggest problems we've had with spotted wilt lately, I think that a combination of a warm winter and some impact one way or another on thrips populations, coupled with the fact that, that warm April growers want to do what they do and that's plant, we ran into spotted wolf problem. So in my consideration, urging growers to think about is they're gonna have one chance to do things right. They're gonna have one chance to get nematode management right. They're gonna have one chance to get spotted wolf management right. They're gonna have one chance to get seedling disease management right. And so between now when they plant, they need to look at look at peanut X. What kind of variety? What kind of planting data? Are they going to use Thymet or not? And they're looking at nematodes. Are you going to use Tiffin B high OL? If you're not going to use Tiffin B high OL, what nematocide are you going to use? Because once that furrow is closed, then uh, the, the grower is really on the sidelines. It's your peanut team against all the bad guys out there for the rest of the season. There's really nothing to be done. And I believe that this... The weather we haven't had, Scott, I believe that that has uh, set us up for a higher risk, and we need to be prepared for it. All right. So any any shortfalls on fungicide availability? Great question. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were worried about that because of uh, supply chain issues. Right. I haven't heard that much this year. Uh, the only one that I've heard that uh, you know I, I call it the Lazarus fungicide, Provo Silver, and, and uh, because it has resurged back to where lots of growers are using because of its strength in late season disease control. Um, yeah, that's the only one. Provo silver for for some couple reasons, maybe in allocation this year, maybe in tighter supply. So growers should either find out what if they want to use it, and they should consider using it or something like it. Uh, Provosalt TEBs another one out there that they could use. Uh, is to figure out how they might either get what they need or find other alternatives for it. Uh, so specifically, I think we're going to have a good supply chain. But what's changed in the past 23 years I've been here is a tremendous focus now on later season.
1: Yeah.
0: Least by control and later season, a white mold control and uh, make sure you got the art, make sure you got the, the fungicide you need for that at the time.
1: Um, another question, again, thinking about as we get closer to planting here. We are setting ourselves up, you know, coming out of last year. We think the germs look good. We are questionable on are our vigors impacted on the low grades that we had last year. I've been telling people just to be cautious about it. Make sure we don't plant in cool, wet conditions or unfavorable conditions. So what are you know? I know we have a bound which for risotinol you can still use right <laughs> in Um It's not as good on aspergillus and all those. Um, you got proline still right. Um,
0: you can also put what other chemistries in, in for. So right now, the first thing before we even get to that, you talk about the high quality seed, and I agree, and hopefully we will. And then you talk about your seed treatments. Unfortunately, we've, we've come a long way from the dynasty PD, which carried us for so long, but now we've got uh, Rancona and we've got Trebucay out there. But even beyond that, you know, that one chance when that furrow closed, are you gonna use an in-furrow product or not? Abound uh, can still have a little bit of activity against aspergillus, but primarily we're looking at for early season Rhizoc. Abound has a strong fit if it's cool and wet or you're worried about Rhizoc as opposed to aspergillus. The pro-line uh, is in fields where we're worried about CBR, you know, we've seen a little bit more CBR last uh, year. The only chance we really have for good CBR control is proline and furrow. We can band-aid other than that, but you have to Because do I need it? Proline can also give us a little bit of early season white mold control, so there's an opportunity there. Uh, the dollar nematicides uh, can go in there as well. So. The, the main things we're looking at is what can you put in furrow as far as disease would be the abound for Rhizoc. Uh, vellum, if you're using it for nematodes, has aspergillus control as well. The uh, proline can be put in for some, some reasons. So uh, it's a balance between what you can do and what you should do. And going through that mental exercise, what's my threat? What can I put out and what should I put in? I had a a comment from a grower, Macy, two weeks ago, and a grower said that he was going to change his practice, he changed his practice, he's going to put something in furrow he'd never put in before. And I asked him. I said, "Well, that's great, but why are you doing it?" He said, "Well, you've scared me so bad about one choice, I'm af- one chance. I'm afraid not to do it." <laughs> and I had to tell him that that's my message isn't fear mongering. My message is to make sure you make a wise decision, and that decision may turn out to be to not to do anything. You don't need an furrow. You don't need an amiticide. You don't need to use thymet perhaps because of your variety and your planning date. The point is not to scare you; is to let you know that you need to make a sound, educated decision. Make sure whatever you decide doesn't come back to haunt you at the end of the season. Check the oil, right? Just check, check the oil. oil. That's right. Check, check, the, oil.
1: check the oil. Well, I heard you in several of the production meetings said uh, earlier, too, that Fontelis might be coming out later as in potential for an infraro application as well. Is that correct?
0: That's right. Uh, I don't think it's labeled yet for an infraro use, but from from uh, Corteva and with some work done by Tim Brenneman. Uh, they are looking to see if it can't also be a material to join the hunt for disease control, early season disease control. And I think the fontellus has looked very good in fro for disease control. Uh, not something we have, um, not, I don't know that it's labeled yet, but I think it won't be too long before it'll be another tool we have. And we can never have too many tools, That's right? right? I, you could, you all you have to do is look at some of the fungicides we relied upon that... Quickly became not quite as effective as they once were, so we need to have whether it's sulfur or copper we're looking at now, or some of these newest fungicides, uh, things like Fusinto and ProvoSol and ProvoSilver. Those things are yeah. important. That's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. We got a
1: large inventory or a lot of a lot of things in the toolbox
0: for managing diseases. We just got to know which one to put where. Yeah, for all the county agents who might listen or who might not listen to this 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 podcast, is that uh, they'll tell you that one of the biggest questions from growers is, "Would you just give us the best program?" You know, too many choices. Just tell us what we need to do. Yeah. And the, the 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 easy answer is, we just have a lot of opportunity out there. There's There's a lot of opportunity to to manage things. And I'll fall back on Scott that you talk about at our meetings. You talk about that our our yield, average yield last year was 4,200 pounds per acre, which is amazing considering the problems we saw. But I started thinking about it. And you know, for every grower who's gonna make 6,000 pounds of peanuts, that means there's a grower who might make 2,000 pounds of peanuts or two growers who make 3,000 pounds of peanuts. And so, I'd ask myself, well, what's the difference between 6,000 and 3,000? And it could be drought. It could be other problems, but I can absolutely assure the growers, if you do not take nematodes and diseases out of the equation, you will not make 6,000 pounds. You have got to take it. So, so um, the biggest way I think that, that and, you know, talk about why, you know, why I like my job is you feel like you're making a difference. Difference here is, you know, Think about what you can do for diseases of nematodes. Do you want to get to six thousand pounds? There may be other problems as well, but you can't get there unless you take the disease of nematodes out and that's do it. Do it in a good way. That's very true. So
1: that's that's some of the main things that I had on the docket that, to ask you. The other thing is to let the listeners out there know if you want Bob Kemmerite <laughs> to come to your fields or your county, all you got to do is find the cemetery. But more than often than not, find a place for us to go or for Bob, because I want to I want to go with him sometimes. I find a place to find some airheads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all about that, right? <laughs> and so Bob loves, you know, if you know Bob, you know Bob loves history. So try to try to find something your county hadn't been recognized. Bob, what what was the one thing we found on this Brazil trip that was a surprise to all of us? Or at least to me. Very
0: much. Oh, found a uh... An old cemetery there in the kind of in the middle of nowhere in Sao Paulo state, uh, which is after the American Civil War, uh, uh, between they estimate probably twenty thousand families from the South moved rather than stay for Reconstruction. They moved to Brazil to to help build a cotton industry down there, and so. Uh, me being Roman Catholic, it was a surprise to me, but they wouldn't let the, uh, most of the uh, the Southerners who went there were Baptists, and they were not allowed to be buried in the Roman Catholic cemetery, and so they developed their own. They built the first Baptist church in Brazil, all of Brazil, as in we saw it, and a little cemetery bound around it, and I think the most haunting thing was these, they had lived out the remainder of their lives, and their families are still there, as you know, but on their tombstones, uh, born 1836, Washington County, Georgia, born 1856, yeah. in Choctaw, Mississippi. So it was yeah, really family. haunting. Yeah. They, they almost invariably all the tombstones from that era, talked about where they'd been born, and they died in uh, in Brazil. So it was interesting.
1: So if you if you or your families ever do the, you go on and do the genealogy of your family, and you get to a point and you're that person just disappeared, there could be a chance that they're. They're in Brazil. Brazil, that family of all could be in Brazil, and we do have. I picked. I took a picture of all the last names for who you know were represented there. So, it's kind of
0: a an interesting thing to see that many families go down there. Well, my mother's a Perkins from Georgia, and uh, there was a, there's a there's a family there Perkins from Georgia that, that moved after the Civil War. So who knows? We could be. I could have Ken buried in that cemetery as well. So, but it was a it's a fascinating thing just. Uh, one of those in addition to the agriculture and it ties in doesn't it right it because does. the reason it they does. went down there they were they were brought there by the ruler of Brazil at the time to help them with cotton production so agriculture is not anything that's brand new it's growing cotton it's been in Brazil since 1860s or before that's right, that's right. Well, well I
1: appreciate all the, the information like I said we'll continue talking about things as we go along because once we get into the season, we're gonna see more and more things prop up or crop up. That's a problem, um, or things that we need to get information out. So, you have anything glad. else from any updates from shellers? Uh, right now, we're still the news that we're getting is that our germs are still okay uh, in the high eighties and low nineties. Have not seen a real bad turn yet, uh, and and I hope we don't. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't know the. The germ test, unless it's a cold germ test, doesn't necessarily tell you all, all about the um, how, how good the seed is and the vigor of that seed. Now we will tell you that if you do get a cold germ done, and it's you know, if you got a ninety percent germ and you're in the seventies with cold germ, that might not still I mean it still might not be bad. Yeah. Because you gotta realize it's in very cold temperatures that it's trying to germinate. And so if you get seventy plus percent germination out of a cold germ, you may still be okay. And it may still have good vigor. Uh but anything below seventy, I would definitely start to question uh and again it doesn't mean that it won't germ it's just that if you put it in cool wet situations or limiting moisture or whatever it might be it's going to struggle and that's going to cause the overall emergence to be less and we don't want to see that so just something that um i've been talking to people about this the cold germ test and and they said yeah really you're going to see it be a little bit lower than than normal um and and like i said it don't really get to question them until they get mid 70s and below that kind of thing so okay. um we're still
0: learning about that as we go okay.
1: anything else the only no, thing man. i'd
0: mention we got uh, some bright young county agents coming into the system and yes. and for any growers who may listen and consultants anybody in the industry uh, i think i encourage you to reach out to them they they join extension because they they like us they want to make a difference they want to use their expertise but that it requires uh, the community to, to embrace them as well. So, please, I, I, I say always they're the tip of the UGA spear. They are the presence of the University of Georgia in your counties. And uh, they'll need a chance to learn, but use them, and they'll they'll work with us. We'll work with them, and we'll work with you. So, we, we appreciate the partnership.
1: Yep, very much. And I appreciate, again, Macy for handling Absolutely. all this. She's done very well with this and do appreciate Absolutely. all her Thank, right. Thank you, Macy. Thank you all.